0: Amen. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for what we've experienced already in worship. And Lord, I just pray as we share your word, Lord, that it would permeate our hearts, Lord, and that you would speak to us. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I surely enjoyed the living series. We're going to finish it up today as we look at the first couple of verses of of chapter four, and I just want to make sure I heard last week some, that some folks in the back couldn't hear me. Can y'all hear me this morning? All right, good. All right, cool. It's kind of like the old commercial. Can you hear me now? Good. But our theme this morning is the fact that that we know this is the case as Christians is that prayer is the motivator. Prayer is when the rubber meets the road. We all. Need to be able to make sure that we live as a person of prayer. And I believe if we were to ask everybody in here today, if we were to ask them to tell us whether or not you're a person of prayer, a majority of you would say, yes brother, I believe in prayer. Because we've seen prayer work, we've prayed for things that have happened and not happened, but Sometimes our prayers are a little one-sided. Sometimes our prayers can be a little one-dimensional. And what I'm I'm going to give you this morning is kind of a prayer test. I'm not going to grade it, and it's not for you to to turn into God for a score, but I just want you to think about your prayer life and think about a few areas of prayer to see how you're doing on a scale of 1 to 10. So, the first thing in the prayer test would be, are my prayers me focused or God focused? Are my prayers me focused or God focused? As you go back, if, if someone were to play the transcripts of your last 24 hours of prayer, or maybe your last week of prayer, how much is it for you and your needs, as opposed to praying to God and seeing what He wants and He needs? The second test would be prayers for the physically sick versus prayers for the spiritually sick. I've told our folks on Wednesday night that this, I mean, a majority of our prayer list, a majority of our time on Wednesday nights, and when you think of prayer, you're thinking of somebody that's in a hospital or they have a procedure or they have some kind of ailment, and, and I understand, I believe we should pray for those people. But is there not more to pray for than physical traits that are going to die someday anyway. The reason we pray for the sick is obviously to help them and and maybe for God to heal them, but also it's for our own selfish desires because we don't want to see that person hurt. We don't want to be put in a position where it is uncomfortable. So the thing is that as we pray, I'm not discounting prayer for physical um, physical healing, I mean, I treasured every prayer that was uttered while my, my father was sick. And, and if I'm ever in the situation, I treasure those prayers, and I pray for you when you're sick. But I'm just asking you, if the only time you get on your knees and seek the Lord is because somebody needs a physical healing. That's one-dimensional. Another test would be, are your prayers circumstantial prayers, or are they consistent? One would be, I pray when I need it. And number ten would be, I'm always in the spirit of prayer. Now, i like to tell you that I'm a ten, but I'm not always like that. And these numbers, these, these values that you're rating between one to ten, is that you, you're, they're fluid. One day you might be one way and another day you might be other. But my question is, Is Are you like a boat without a rudder when it comes to your prayer? Are your prayers driven by the wind that goes through your sails and it takes you in whatever direction you go in? Or are your prayers those of a boat that has a rudder, that are guided, that are purposeful, and that are seen? Look, many of you will have prayer requests. and Many of you have have prayed to the Lord for things. But how many of you keep a prayer journal? Maybe not even a journal, but maybe a list on your phone, or maybe a a, a something that you stick in your Bible where you actually write down the date that you pray for somebody. And then you can see later on. What we do on Wednesday nights a lot of times is I will go over the prayers of the weeks before, and we can see where God is working. That is the beautiful thing about keeping a prayer log, is that you can see not only where you were with the Lord, but how He answered. And then also, maybe... Uh, your prayers are for those you know versus those you don't know. If you rate yourself a one, your prayers are going to be about all about the people you know. And if your prayers are ten, it would be about anybody else. Look, I understand that, that we do need to pray for ourselves and those that we know. But folks, out beyond this wall, there are thousands of people that are not going to church. Their marriages are not working. Their families are busted up. They're addicted to drugs. They're in the midst of crime. And nobody really cares about them until they come on their front porch. That's not the church. We need to pray for others, even those that we don't know. And then the last evaluation would be, are your prayers structured or unstructured? Structured prayers could be rigid to the point of where, I know... In my own life, uh, there's a certain prayer that I pray before I eat. And it's normally about the same thing. And sometimes as I pray it, I find myself praying it just to get on to eating. And where's the blessing in that? Nowhere. I've been better off just to start eating. But there are times, even though I pray that similar prayer every time, there are times where it means more. Maybe it's because it's been a tough month and we got more bills than we got money. Or maybe it's a time where I just haven't felt like eating for a long time, and all of a sudden, whatever's in front of me tastes really good. Or maybe I'm trying to to wash my weight so that what's in front of me doesn't taste very good, but I know I need it anyway. You know what I'm saying? But we've got to be thankful for what we have, whether it be good or bad. So that's your prayer test. That's just for you. There again, it's not a grade. This is just something, as you look at your prayer life Maybe some ways you can fine-tune that, because we are supposed to be people of prayer. And these are just a few areas that you can use to tune in your prayer lives. But but as Paul is wrapping up this letter to the Colossians, uh, he he is giving them practical information, not only... Uh, how to live a godly life, but also how to enhance it through prayer. Because look, for the past couple of weeks, we've looked at different ways that we can, can be more spiritual, that we can include these things in our lives. But the main thing is, is that we need to make sure that we have practical information on how to live a gospel-centered life. Martin Luther put it this way. Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer is more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is more possible than to be alive without breathing. Folks, it is no secret that Donna and I, we love the beach. You we know, I'm going there. We've lived there for a while, and from the time I was a child, I have the habit of the first thing I do when I get out of the vehicle is I will get out and I will just breathe in as much air as I can because you, you can smell the salt in the air and, and whether it be there or in another place that we go to, but it's just something about getting into a new location and filling your lungs with that fresh air is just—it's amazing. Okay, so filling your air with lungs is just amazing, but at the same time we see that, that this fresh air, it doesn't matter how long the trip was, whether it was five hours, eight hours, or whatever it may be, however long that trip was, when you fill your air, your lungs with that air, it's almost like a fresh start. Folks, and what I remember is no matter how long it took me to get there, no matter what I went through, how sore my legs were, you know when you get out of the car after riding for a while, you got to, go. your legs are not working, especially if you're all uh, cramped up into a car. So you get out and you get your legs, you get your, your, your lungs filled with air, and then all of a sudden you realize that the trip was worth it because you're where you want to be. Folks, let me tell you something about prayer. Prayer is the same way. Prayer is that moment to where it doesn't matter what you've gone through, it doesn't matter what condition you are in, but if you honestly seek the Lord and you pray not only for the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing of sins, He will give you that fresh feeling. No matter what it took to get there, you can still know the blessings of a fresh start through prayer. And I've said this before, but there are many people that, that they have at some point in their life prayed to receive Christ, and they remember that feeling of, of being a Christian and being new and, and everything, you know, starting over. And then after they become a Christian, after about two or three years into it, their lives feel dirty and nasty again because they've let sin come into their lives. So they feel like, well, obviously I need to walk down the aisle and get saved again. No, that's not the case. That's where prayer Comes in. And Paul is giving us some, some great advice here. So over the course of the living series that we've been talking about, the apostle Paul has told us the difference between living a Christian life and just surviving in life. He's taught us the grace of God. Then we need to treasure that. And that grace of God is a motivator. You realize that there was nothing you did to earn your salvation. You realize that as nasty and as crazy as your lives have been, even if you're a good person, you have bad thoughts every now and then. You have bad tendencies. We all have those. We are all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But because of His grace, That He loves you beyond what you have done or even what you can do for Him. He loves you just because. And that blood that was spilled for your sins to atone for your sins and to make you forgive. And that should be motivators for us to live the Christian life. Also, we see that living a gospel-centered life will affect how we treat our families and our relationships and how we interact with people socially. So today, we see that The key for empowering our gospel-centered life is through prayer. It's like I was reading the other day and I came across Philippians 2.13 and I thought this was an aha moment for me. And I put it on the screen there for you. And it says, For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out His good purpose. I don't know about you, but some days I lack the desire. Some days, I don't want to work at it. Some days I forget the fact that God is working in me because I'm too busy working for myself. And this reminder shows me that it's not about me. It's a reminder to you that it's not about you. That if you want the desire to work on your Christian life, and if you want to serve His purpose, which is sharing the Gospel in your life, even though you might not have the desire or even the work to do it, it says He will give that to you if you just ask. Because i got to tell you something, if God, if God is powerful enough to save you from your sins, He is powerful enough to empower you. To do his work. And if you're not doing it as a believer, it's just downright disobedience. That's all it is. And so, as we look at the prayer, what Paul is saying to us, the first thing we see is that a person of prayer must stay alert and thankful. A person of prayer must stay alert and thankful. In verse 2, we see, he writes, Devote yourselves. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert. And thanksgiving. If we just look at that first half, it says, A person of prayer must stay alert and be thankful. When it talks about devoting yourselves to prayer, a devoted person's prayer life, what is it? what does that look like? If someone would say, I'm devoted to prayer, it just means this, that in their life, it is consistent and persistent. That your prayer, it doesn't mean that you have to have earth-shattering prayers every time you bow your head. But it does mean that there, there is a pattern, there is a consistency to your prayer. What are some hindrances to prayer life? I think one of the biggest hindrances to prayer life, especially for, for believers, is when they're not answered in the time you think they ought to be answered. Am I right? Oh, preacher, you don't understand, I've been praying for this for so long. We see situations all the time where somebody has been praying for years for a child, for a grandchild, for a relationship, for a job or whatever, and finally, they get so discouraged, they stop praying, and then all of a sudden, God doesn't work. Folks, the biggest hindrance to prayer lives is putting God on our timetable. Because here's the thing, God's delays of our prayers, God's delaying the answer of our prayers is not a denial. It just means that you're not ready for it yet. So if there's something on your heart that you have still given to God, and you're still waiting on Him to move in that, it might be months, it might be years. But don't think that He has forgotten you. Don't let that be a hindrance to your prayer. Sometimes we get the wrong answer to our prayers. We expect a yes, He gives us a no. We expect a healing, we get a death. We expect a raise and we get a pink slip. All of these different things go through our lives and we expect one thing and get another. And if we're focused on the products of our prayer rather than who we pray to, that will be a discouragement. Misguided prayers. How about praying outside of His will? Look, I could pray all day long that God would put a new F-150 truck in, in my, in my, uh, in my driveway. But that's not really praying according to His will, is it? I can pray more and I want this and I want this. Kinda like you used to do when you were a child and you'd come out, I mean, my mom used to give me, this was the best thing in the world, the Sears catalog. Y'all remember the Sears catalog? How thick was that thing? I mean, it was like this. And then once you get past all those boring tools and women's clothes and and men's clothes and then patio furniture, you get to that one old section which is all toys, and you're like, "Mm hmm. Circle that one, circle that one, and just you tell you tell. Look, here here's a list I want you to give Santa Claus, and you expect to see all of that under the tree. And if you don't see it under the tree, you get you get disappointed because well. You didn't get everything you wanted. Then again, there's some of you in here that remember a day when you were lucky to get a fork or a piece of fruit for Christmas because times were so bad. But folks, here's the thing. When we look at God like we look at Santa Claus and expect to give Him a list of what we want and get upset when we don't get what we want, when we want it, how we want it, we have got the wrong emphasis in our prayer lives. And that will be a hindrance to our prayer life. Also, maybe just a lack of devotion to prayer. We will nurture, folks, what we are devoted to. We will nurture what we are devoted to. I see many parents, and this is, this is a kudos to them, that they spend their entire lives, as they should, devoted to that child. But the problem comes when that child gets old enough to get an attitude and he starts running to parents. You see, we devote ourselves to children. We'll devote ourselves today. There are people that have spent the whole week preparing for the Super Bowl party. I mean, hey, the Atlanta Falcons are in the Super Bowl. There is a God. And look, I'm excited for them. And it's gonna be a great game, and, and I'm not a hater on the Patriots, as I said last week, but at the same time, there are people that their entire lives, and some of them are betting the farm financially on one team or the other. But at the end of the night, you're gonna have one winner, and you're gonna have one loser. But yet people, I mean, the money, the effort to go into that is just, it's just amazing. Maybe it's a sporting event, maybe it's a hobby. Folks, your devotions will be determined by where and what you spend your money on. Let me show you this verse about devotion. There's two verses. Romans twelve twelve says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and be persistent. In other words, be devoted in prayer. Rejoice in hope. That, that's no problem, is it? Anything sunny, woo, everything is as great, I can rejoice, God is good. I can sing praises, I listen to Christian music, and I I do all these great things because everything's going great in my life. But the minute something comes that is hard, that's when the affliction comes, it's very hard to be patient. There are a lot of saints that are along the road of life that have taken a pit stop or a rest area because it got too tough for them. And I'm not throwing them against uh, uh, under the bus, but I'm just saying that we need to be persistent. Look, I'll be honest with you, the past couple months of my life have been pretty tough. So I understand when it says, persistent. Be persistent. Of when you hold on, you don't know the outcome, but you just hold on through faith. Have you been there? If you haven't, you will. Also, Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'll say this again. You want to define where your treasure is? Look at your checkbook and your calendar. That will show you where your priorities are. And luckily for a lot of you in here, God is a priority in your life because you are in sitting in God's house. So I'll give you credit for that. Praise God! That's a good step. For some of you, you've been in these peas all your lives. For some of you, it's a new thing. But I guarantee you, you being in here, God will bless Your obedience and attendance. Not so we can say how many numbers we had, but even if there is one person that is reached in the sermon, it is worth it. And you are making a claim in your life saying, this is a start for me. And so, he says to not only be devoted, but to stay alert. Folks, Satan knows your weak points. Satan knows your weak points. I can just imagine. I remember, any of y'all who played church softball? You remember those days? Oh, my goodness. Church, softball, and basketball. Some of the worst fights I've ever seen have been in church, softball, and basketball games. I'll never forget, years ago, I was, they didn't have anybody else to do it, so I was coaching the boys. And uh, one of the youth pastors, they kind of got an attitude with me. And I thought, are we going to fight in this church? No, but we resolved it. I, I'm a talker outer. I'm not a fighter. But anyway, you, you'll get up to that plate. You're playing church softball. And you'll, you'll eye the competition there. And you're going to say, if I'm going to hit it, I'm going to hit it that way. Because there's one deacon so-and-so that's out there with thick glasses just looking like this. Yeah, like, I'm going to hit it to that guy. Because you look for the weak points. Say, so if I can just get it past that guy, I know I've got it. Or they look at me and say, hey, look at that fat kid out there. I know I'll get it past him. He won't be able to run to get it. But anyway, you look for the weak points. Folks, Satan knows your weak points. You don't believe me? Ask Jesus himself. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. No food. And what is the first thing Satan tempts him with? Food. Satan knows your weakness. Adam and Eve, he knew what their weakness was he knows when you're vulnerable so when you are in those moments of vulnerability that is when you need to pray your hardest he says that he uses the term watch and pray this is a phrase that is used often in the bible and it started with nehemiah was building the walls or rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and it talks about how Samuel and Tobias and all his other enemies were coming against him and all the work that he was doing, and it says in Nehemiah 4-9, So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. They stayed on watch. Jesus says to his disciples to watch and pray because the second coming will be here before they know it. He also tells them to watch and pray in the garden because He knows that in just a matter of minutes that the guards are going to come take Him for the trial and the execution. As He is is pleading on His knees in the garden to the point to where His blood is coming out of His sweat glands, He is so emotionally charged... And he always asks his three closest friends to do is to sit and pray, and he goes back and uh, all asleep. But he told them to watch and pray. And I fully believe it wasn't for his benefit, but it was for their benefit. Real prayer demands energy and attention. Folks, dry, repetitive prayers do little to see the power of God in our lives. When there is something you want to do, you make every effort to prepare. I know how it is. Hey, when fall TV comes back on, your programs are back on. You're like, okay, this night my TV program's coming on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna mute the phone. I'm gonna get my favorite snack. I'm gonna get my my favorite drink, and I'm gonna sit here and I'm just gonna, don't call me, don't bother me. My show is on. Am I right? Or some of you are like, I've had this book on my shelf forever, and I'm going to take tonight to read some of it, so let at me! Don't talk, don't talk to me. Or maybe the, the event's coming, or, or vacation, oh my goodness, vacation's coming. You've got to get everything ready and clean your house, so when you get back, it's clean, right? you got to do all these things, or you've got to find somebody's coming over, so we've got to do all these things. All these different preparations we make. But yeah, when it comes time to prayer... Huh, what do I need to pray about? Oh, I'm gonna pray for so-and-so, they got to sick this, and I'm gonna pray for so-and-so, because they got to sick that, and, uh, Lord, thank you for my blessings, amen. And that's it. What a tragedy. Any hey, of y'all ever said this, Lord, forgive me of my sins where I've fallen short, and then moved on? Look, that's a good prayer. But there's a big difference between saying, God, forgive me of my sins, and saying, God, forgive me because I coveted this week. Forgive me because I lost faith in you in this situation. Forgive me because I looked at something I shouldn't look at. Forgive me because I had a thought that I didn't submit to you. You see, when we get specific about these things, it gets awfully personal. But it becomes awfully powerful. And also about being thankful, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert with thanksgiving. Folks, if we are not thankful for what God has given us, We will lose perspective of how he's been faithful in the past. And what do you call someone who is ungrateful and unthankful? You call him a brat. Let us not be a brat when it comes to what God is doing in our lives. Whether you've been walking with him for years, or you've yet to even start the journey, understand God loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And he wants to make sure that you get the best of everything He's got for you. Well, the second thing we see is that we need to remember your chains as you share the gospel. Remember your chains as you share the gospel. Verses 3 and 4 say this. They say, At the same time, I love those three words, at the same time, while you're praying, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open the door to us. For the message to speak, the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison. Yes, folks, he's writing this from a jail cell. And he says, so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the time. We see here that where it says at the same time folks the gospel is not a theory the gospel is not a philosophy or an idea the gospel is a way of thinking and feeling John Piper puts it this way he says the gospel is an actual event in history Billy Graham says the gospel has never changed. You hear preachers say, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the gospel story of Jesus Christ. That He was born of a virgin. That He lived a sinless life. That He died for your sins. And so you can be forgiven. That if you confess and repent of your sins, you will be forgiven and you will receive eternal life. For when He comes back, you will take the trip with Him to a new heaven and a new earth. In some ways that sounds outdated, but folks, it's just that simple. That is the mystery that Paul was talking about. Isn't it amazing to know that someone plain like myself can understand that, but yet there are people that have more degrees than I have paper that they put it on, and and they still don't understand that? It's the gospel message. And, And the thing is, we see Paul, we see when he says, "...at the same times." The open door Paul was requesting was not a prayer to get him out of jail. What was he actually asking in that passage? If you go back and look at that, he was not asking to get out of jail. He wasn't looking for a get-out-of-jail-free card. He was saying, who can I share the gospel with in this situation? So the fact is, Paul would have rather be faithful than free. Paul would have rather been faithful than free. As you look at his life, the the mystery of the gospel, we see the fact that when he was in jail, he ministered to centurions. We see that he even ministered to people in the house of Caesar. There were people that that would have never heard the gospel unless Paul shared it with them in jail. Now, it's not my my desire that any of us have to go to jail for the gospel, and I hope that that day never comes, but in other places of the country, that is happening. But the thing is, is that when we are in our affliction, and when we are in our tough times, that is where through prayer, we can share the gospel with other people. Today's gospel is not based on religious acts, but true repentance from sin. And dependence upon Jesus. And the third thing we see is that our difficulties give opportunity to share the gospel. Our difficulties give opportunity to share the gospel. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. He says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious. seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Can you imagine being the person that was chained to Paul in jail? <laughs> I bet he got an earful. But you never know. The very reason Paul went to jail might have been for that person that had broke the law that was chained to him. As I said a moment ago, it was for centurions. It was for world leaders that would never hear the gospel unless Paul would have shared it with them. Maybe God will use you to tell others about Him in the midst of your circumstances. Whether it be good or whether it be bad. Understand that if you are a believer, God has placed you right where you're at. Yeah, your side might be hurting. Yeah, your heart may be broken. And you don't know how you can go on. But what I would say is, just please lift your eyes up. How do we do that? Through prayer. And we say, God... Give me perspective on what I'm going through and how can I use what I'm in the middle of to glorify you and to share your gospel. The proclaiming of the Word of God is the greatest privilege and responsibility we could ever have. And folks, this is not just for missionaries like Paul or apostles. This is not just for Preacher talk. Something preachers ought to do. This is for everyone. We have all been called to go and make disciples. And to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And for the true believer that has got on track with what God is doing in their lives. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. And you can take this to the bank. There is no spiritual high you will ever experience greater than leading someone to the Lord. You might say, well, I don't know what to say. How hard, is, how hard is it to say, you know what? I accepted Jesus Christ. He came into my life. He died for me. I confessed of my sins, repented, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when my last breath is here, my next breath is with the Lord. Boy, that is a great comfort at funerals, is it not? But there are a lot of people claiming it that don't own it. It's all about the gospel. So in our afflictions... In our good times and in our bad times, we are to seek the Lord. And I will say this, if you can manage to get your focus off of yourself and place it on the lostness of those around you, your faith, I guarantee you, will increase and God will use you to share your gospel story. But how do we get our minds off of ourselves And back on to God It is reading his word and praying. Just like that verse I shared with you at the beginning of the sermon where it talked about God giving us the desire and working in us. It's not about what I can do, but it's about what he's done for me and about what he's done for you. Everyone in here is capable of having a voice and giving a testimony for what God has done in your life. To share the gospel story, it's a matter of your will and your heart. Folks, you can live the life that Christ has called you to, but it must be powered through the practical application of prayer. So please, be a person of prayer. Let's pray. God, I thank you that, Lord, we have worshipped you through word and through action. And Lord, it is my prayer that, that folks here this morning would, would get beyond what they came with. And Lord, they would readjust their gaze, not at their circumstances, but upon you. That Lord, you have given us a lost and dying world to be salt and light in. And it is my prayer that we would live up to that. And in our own strength, that is impossible. But in your strength, we can do all things. So Lord, if there's someone that would just like to come pray at the altar and pray where they're at, Lord. This invitation time is going to be a time for us to reflect not only on what You've done for us, but what we can do for You. And you never know, maybe someone has heard the Gospel story this morning and they would say, You mean me? As messed up as my life is, you could forgive me of what I've done? And your answer would be a resounding yes. If someone would want to know that forgiveness today and come and have a relationship with you, Lord. May come forward. I'll pray with them. Lord, our church would rejoice with them. But Lord, if they don't want to come forward, Lord, that's fine. They can see me afterwards. Or see a Bible study teacher or a family member. Talk to them about the fact that they want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're your child. Lord, this invitation is a time for you to work. Maybe someone wants to join the church, receive you as their Savior, or just pray at the altar, Lord, may you move. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?